Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness to pray and to rest before he began his public ministry. This year during Lent, join Pastor Hook to pray and rest as we learn about our calling to be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. We are in uh, episode 5 of our series on life-changing connection, and we left off at our last episode talking about discipleship and what is a disciple. And we talked about how Jesus made disciples. The way that Jesus made disciples was that he gathered 12 people. He called them, he gathered them around him, and then he lived with them for three years, basically shared life with them, did everything together, looked at the world around him, had life examples, taught, and then he left and left them to make other disciples. We talked about how Paul did it a little bit differently. Paul actually went out into uh, different communities, set up churches, brought people together, taught them discipleship in a much narrower time frame where Jesus spent three years. Paul may have spent three months or six months or nine months to do discipleship, and then he left and went and created other churches. That's how Paul did it. But the Bible doesn't specify how to make disciples. The Bible basically leaves that open. Uh, So anything that we can do, any technology that we can do, any tool that we can utilize to make discipleship is fair game, to to make disciples is fair game. It doesn't have to be one particular method. Uh, One question that you might ask is, well, what what about Sunday morning worship? That seems to be for us the time that we do most of our discipleship. And there's an incredible amount of discipleship that can happen on Sunday morning. It is a phenomenally good in our culture because we get uh, Saturdays and Sundays. Most, you know, the vast majority of people get their Saturdays and Sundays off. Uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The, the early settlers of the United States came from uh, very Puritan backgrounds and they always didn't work on, you know, on Sunday. And so they could take that day off and learn. Uh, so we have a very strong culture here in the United States where we can get together and worship on, on Sunday morning. But uh, in the early church, most people worked seven days a week. They didn't, they didn't have the benefit of going to church on Sunday morning because they had to work Sunday morning. So all the discipleship was done either kind of in the course of a day or maybe they didn't have to work because they were following a rabbi or maybe they got home from work from the day and that's when they did their discipleship. And we're going to talk a little bit more. One of the lessons or a few of the lessons that we'll be talking about in this series are actually what is the benefit of discipleship on Sunday morning and how can we uh, tailor Sunday morning to really make it something that helps create disciples in our community, in our world, under our context, context. And so look forward to that. But we will be we'll be discussing that actually quite depth uh, later on in a later podcast This morning, I want to talk a little bit about, um, I actually want to take a look at something else. We we spent some time talking about uh, our mission and our vision. And if you'll remember, uh, and I'll just bring it up here real quickly, um, the mission of Christ Within Veil Church is making loving disciples. And we've spent a lot of time over the last two days talking about what is a disciple and how did the early church make disciples? How did Paul make disciples? What I'd like to do is to focus a little bit on that word loving, making loving disciples. Um, What exactly is a loving disciple? And in order to go about that portion of it, like why is that word in there? 
because Jesus said, make disciples. Why are we adding the word loving in there? And, and I think the story that best illustrates this is the story of the Good Samaritan. It's from Luke chapter 10, the beginning of verse 27. And so let's just take a look at it and read it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let's just stop there. That is exactly right. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, which is to love one another as I've loved you. Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor. The compilation of the whole entire Old Testament commandments could basically be boiled down to these two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. And when you do that, you are following the commandments of God. There's no question about it. So the guy had the answer right. Um, but but it doesn't that doesn't stop there. He continues to go on. He says, but he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Let me just pause there real quickly. What does it mean to justify yourself? To justify yourself means to to kind of show the world that you're doing it right, like that you're um, that you're that you're following God's commands as you should be. You're 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 doing everything that's necessary so that you can follow God's commands, and that's that's kind of what he wanted to do is to show the world. He's like, okay, he's going to tell me my neighbor is this person, this person. I'm going to say, yeah, that's my neighbor. I'm doing it right. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, "Who's my neighbor?" And then what happens? In reply, Jesus said a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So really quickly, it's interesting that this is a priest. This is a holy person. Now, there's a whole lot of debate about whether or not the guy could have touched the robber like this. You know, he could have been unclean. He's a priest. He has temple duties. If he's in the temple and he touches blood, it causes all sorts of problems. It's kind of like us and the coronavirus, right? If you've been in contact with somebody here in the United States that has been exposed, if you've been exposed to coronavirus, you're supposed to quarantine yourself seven days, 10 days or whatever to prove that you're okay. Well, they had the same thing back then in the in the in Jesus' time. Uh, if you were had two duties in the temple, you were not allowed to touch a bleeding person. It just wasn't allowed. So the priest, because of his commitment to God, because of his duties that he had, uh, you know, in work and all that sort of thing, he was not allowed to pass by the other side. And so he does. And just think about that. Just stop and think about that. Like if you've got coronavirus and you know you're supposed to be quarantining and you and there's somebody that's in a traffic accident, would you get out of your car and help that person um, to kind of get through the traffic accident? Or would you let them sit there and bleed and call, you know, call 911 and just just, you know, and not do anything because, you know, you want to make sure you're or would you say, wait a minute. You know, the risk of infection is low. I've got my mask on. I'm going to do everything I can to try to help this person out. 
I mean, I think it would depend upon the severity of, you know, how much that person was hurting. But I think most of us, at least our heart would go out and say, there's, I want to do something. I mean, the natural human response, unless you're just cold hearted, I think the natural human response is to help anybody that's bleeding. I mean, that's just, I think that's, I I think that's just natural. I, I know I would, um, I, I suppose there are people in our world today that wouldn't help that if they saw somebody bleeding, they would cross over the other side and maybe steal the things, their possessions they had. Of course, probably are no possessions. They're probably stolen by the robbers, but you know, might look through their pockets to see if there's anything left that the robbers missed or something like that. I mean, it would take a very cold-hearted person not to help. I think most of us would understand that that basic human dignity is to go over across the street and help. But the priest doesn't. It's a priest. He doesn't. I just find that fascinating. Um, So too a Levite, so continuing in verse 32, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, passed by on the other side too. And I just, you know, I another another person with temple duties, you know, a Levite, they're, they're kind of the politicians of the day. They're the, the religious leaders of the day. They, the priests have temple duties. The Levites, you know, they're, they're too busy, right? They, they're important people. <clears throat> They'd be like, uh, you know, a senator, I suppose, or, a, um, or a, a house member, you know, passing by, trying to get to their duties. And, you know, they just don't have time to, to spend, you know, to walk across the street and help this guy out. He's got much more important things. Surely somebody else would be coming along this road, somebody with less, you know, responsibilities that I have. They're, they're the ones that are going to stop and, you know, and help this guy. Well, you know, basic human dignity, again, is basically, I, I, think, I think if you just have basic human dignity, you're going to cross the street and at least you know, help the guy. I don't know. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw, he took pity on him. Um, just really briefly here, the Samaritans were, uh, they were followers of Yahweh. They, they lived in Samaria. They didn't worship in Jerusalem. They worshiped on another mountain called Mount Gezerim. They had their own temple. They had their own practices. They were, they were people that kind of intermarried outside of the Jewish faith. And so the pure blood Jews did not like the Samaritans because they had kind of intermarried outside of Judaism and kind of expanded, you know, Judaism beyond the pure blood Judah, you know, Jews that were living in Jerusalem. There was no love between the Samaritans and the Jews. Uh, if a Jew had to go through Samaria, they typically didn't. If they didn't have to, they, they it would be like... Um, I don't know. I mean, I suppose trying to avoid Russia, you know, in the or Soviet Union in the 80s or something like that. I mean, it just just try not to uh, to interact with people that you just really have no love for. Um, you'd, you'd avoid them if you possibly could. I mean, they just just put, wouldn't be people that you'd want to spend time with. But the but the Samaritan, right, uh, as he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him. He took pity on him. I think as all of us would, we'd take pity on him. And what did he do? Verse 34, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii 
and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Now, I think it goes without saying that the Samaritan is doing what most people would do. I think I think most people would would act in this sort of manner. I mean, anybody with enough human decency for love of their fellow, you know, human being would would do something like this. And the stark contrast between what the priest did and the Levite did, and remember the priest and the Levite are kind of the the ruling class of Jerusalem at the time that Jesus is talking to people who, you know, Levites and priests are are kind of like our, you know, beloved um, leaders in our day, I guess you could say. They're, they're the people we look up to and we respect. And the fact that they don't go over across the road and help out the Samaritan, I think is they would have said, yeah, I can kind of see that happening. They wouldn't do that. And, and the Samaritan, you know, crossing the way, I mean, it's like, I guess a Samaritan would do that. I don't know. Maybe they don't have laws like we have. Maybe they're going to, you know, cross over. Maybe maybe they're not forbidden by their laws to actually be humanly decent. I don't know. But, but this is definitely, it hits home. I mean, Jesus, as a teacher, does a phenomenal job of teaching a story about human decency and about being a good neighbor based upon something that was very real, very tangible, something they could touch and understand very well. Um, we continue on verse 36. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And the expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Phenomenal, powerful story. Jesus, the man asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't answer the question. He says, what does it mean to be a neighbor? And in so doing, he reveals that anybody who is hurting Anybody who needs healing is a neighbor to us. So when we say at Christ within Veil, make loving disciples, what we're saying based upon this story, the way I read it, is that anybody who is beaten and left dead by the side of the road is somebody who is deserving of love, deserving of our attention. It is not people who are it is not people who are necessarily in our club. Definitely, we love people who are in our, uh, in our club or in our, some people call it our tribe. You guess you could even say our denomination, our church, uh, our church body, uh, you know, our fellowship. You know, the people that we know and we feel comfortable with. I mean, I'm sure if you were driving down I-10 and you saw somebody from our church bleeding from the side of the road, you would absolutely get out of your car and do everything you could to help that person. The, there's no question about that. That one isn't, isn't even into the question. But if it was somebody that's not part of your club or not part of your tribe or part of your church, like would you, would you really invest time and resources and energy to love that person? And if the story of Jesus is to be believed, and which it is, the way I read Jesus here is that anybody who's lost and hurting, even if they're not part of our club or part of our tribe, deserves to be loved. We should give of ourselves to love those people around us that are hurting. 
um, who are far away from the good news of Jesus, I guess you could say, the people who are who are definitely in need of of the words of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And so when we say make loving disciples, in my mind, the story that I go to is this story of the Good Samaritan. Like a loving disciple is somebody that loves neighbor. And who's my neighbor? Anybody who's in need. That's quite simply. So for us at Christ of the Veil, our neighbors are our next door neighbors. They're people in our community. They're people who are hurting. Uh, people who are, are far from far from the way of life that Jesus teaches, which is a way of peace and a way of joy and a, a way of life. And there are so many people um, who think that they're living their best life or living the life that God has for them or living a life that fills them with, with joy and peace and happiness. They, they think that, but I think if we if you dig down deep and start asking people, are you really, really living, you know, a life that makes you complete? There is certainly no question that without Jesus or without God in your life, that there's a big empty hole. We are created in the image of God. We're created to love God. And if we don't know God, if you don't know God, then there's a hole there that can only be filled by the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And um the early church called that the way of life. And if you weren't living that, you were living the way of death. And our calling as a community, as a church, as followers of Jesus Christ, is to go to people who are hurting and go to people who are bleeding and beat up by the world because that's all the world does is beat up people and give them the way of Jesus and tell them the way of Jesus and show them the way of Jesus and heal them into the way of Jesus. That truly is what our calling is. Um, so that's where I see uh, the, the word making loving disciples. Our mission is making loving disciples. A loving disciple is someone who follows Jesus as we all should, but loves God and loves our neighbor. And when we say our neighbor, it's everybody. It's not just people in our tribe. It's people surrounded by us. That's, that's the loving that we're called to do. And from that, I just want to talk about what it means then to, um, to our vision, which is to be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. Be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. That if we do our job well as a community, if we really make disciples, and I talked about disciples, a leader that loves unconditionally the, the people around us, the hurting people, that that would make our community be a, the people around us, the community around us, the world around us, would through Christ within veil have a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. Um, that is my prayer. That truly is my prayer, that we make loving disciples so that we at Christ Youth and Veil can be a life-changing connection to those who are far away from Christ in our world. That is, a, it's a great mission. It's a great vision. And um, I think what I would pray for you today is that, as, that you just contemplate that. Like contemplate who God has called us to love. 
and what he's called us to do, to make disciples. How do we make disciples? And and are we making disciples the best way possible? Or is, are there ways that we can improve upon making disciples? Given that the fact that, you know, the the world around us is structured in a way that's very fast-paced. Um, families go in 19 different directions. Uh, but we have this great technology that we, you know, iPhones and computers and all that sort of thing. Like, how do we leverage all that information, that technology in, in the world around us to, um, to make loving disciples? So my prayer is uh, in this 40 days of fasting uh, and prayer, well, 40 days of prayer, that, that you would pray for our congregation, pray for our leadership, pray for the Holy Spirit to, to come into our congregation and, and um, give us wisdom on how to do that. So um, I think let's just go ahead and close in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for today. Um, thank you for your lesson about the Good Samaritan. Help us to love uh, as you love the world. In Jesus' name, amen.